The following Dharma talk was recorded live November 14th, 2010. This is Russo Jeffess. We're looking for our online listeners to help us out. If you stream or download an MP3 or podcast, please consider making a donation to support this effort to share the Dharma. We are glad to offer these files for free, and we would be grateful if you would go to our webpage and make a secure donation to the temple via PayPal. Good morning, everybody. How are you all today? Yes, it's unanimous. Nobody knows. Doing well. Okay, good. There we go. Yeah, so I hope everybody's doing well. Thank you all for being here today, and uh, thank you to the folks online who joined us this morning. And later this evening, the folks in Raleigh will be gathering together at the home of Cristiano to practice the Lotus Sutra, and we'll be listening to a recording of this Dharma talk on iTunes. So the, uh, the folks who have joined us here at the temple today may have noticed or maybe noticing something different about the statue of Nietzsche we have enshrined in our altar. Unfortunately, the folks who are watching this via online, it's not that clear detail, so you cannot see. And of course, the people who are listening to the podcast only uh, are unable to see anything except what they're looking at at home. So, it's customary at this time of year to mark the commemoration of Komatsubara persecution by placing a headdressing on Nichiren statues. In larger temple complexes where there are several buildings, there is usually one building set aside dedicated to the founder. And this is true in almost all denominations of Buddhism. Such a building is called a Shoshido, Soshido, or Founder's Hall. And it's usually in, it is usually the statue in that hall that rece- receives the headdressing. Here at this temple, and in others, where uh, one room has to serve multiple purposes, uh, the dressing is placed on the statue of the main altar. So I attended a lecture when I was uh, living uh, in Japan and staying uh, at uh, Joenji Temple. Uh, I was attending a lecture in the basement of their Founders Hall, their Soshido. And uh, this lecture was from a different denomination of Buddhism, and he was saying uh, to his his audience there, uh, he was saying very incorrectly how Nichiren Shu uh, worships Nichiren. And this isn't true. But he gave as proof, he says, on your way out, just go upstairs, and there's, that's all there is. In the, on the altar, it's this big, huge, almost life-size statue of Nichiren. Well, that's the Soshido. It's the Founder's Hall. There's supposed to be a statue there. It's the same way in all temple complexes. But the Founders Hall is not the main hall. It's not the Hondo. So, so anyway, so he was incorrect and uh, um, he was leading people to become confused. You go into any temple complex, whether it's Nembutsu uh, um, uh, or whatever, there'll be a separate hall where images were kept of their founders. So it's kind of like a museum almost. So, that being said, today I don't intend on giving a lecture about temple architecture. Instead, I want to share with you the story and significance of the Komatsubara persecution, which will reveal to you the reason for the headdressing 
on the statue of Nitrin. So on November 11th, in the year of Gune, or 1264, Nitrin was attacked on his way to visit a lay follower. He'd been invited to attend a dinner and was on his way in the early evening, around 5 p.m., and he was accompanied by about 10 of his followers. So let me share with you the words that, uh, of Nitrin's words regarding this event. Quote, On the 11th day of the 11th month, between the hours of the monkey and the cock, around 5 p.m., on the highway called Matsubara in Tojo, in the province of Awa, I was ambushed by several hundred Nembutsu believers and others. I was alone, except for about ten men accompanying me, only three or four of whom were capable of offering any resistance at all. Arrows fell on us like rain, and swords descended like lightning. One of my disciples was slain in a matter of a moment, and two others were gravely wounded. I myself sustained cuts and blows, and it seemed that I was doomed. Yet, for some reason, my attackers failed to kill me. Thus, I have survived until now. This is uh, <coughs> recorded in uh, Encouragement to a Sick Person by Nietzsche and Shonen, and this is an authenticated um, uh, document. So while this was not the first attack or persecution that Nietzsche had suffered to date, it was the first time that he had been personally injured. Prior, <coughs> prior to this event, he had been forced from his dwelling in Kamakura at Matsubagayatsu. Uh, when, when Nembutsu followers and others set fire to his home, uh, the legend is, is that he was uh, saved or rescued by a white monkey who uh, came to visit him and uh, either in his dream or in person, depending on which legend you're listening to, um, uh, woke him and dragged him from the cottage, and he was way up the uh, side of the mountain. Actually, if you ever go to Kamakura, you can climb that little path up there, and you can look down on where Nitrin's hut was. There's a temple um, there now. Also, prior to the attack, uh, uh, this attack that we're commemorating today at Komatsubara, he, uh, uh, he, had been, he was recently uh, returned from uh, pardon from his first exile. And his first exile was to Izu Peninsula. There was the first of two exiles that he was to face. So during the service we read from chapter 10 of the Lotus Sutra, the section we call the difficulty of retaining the sutra, or in Japanese, hotoge. You notice that we use an irregular rhythm when we read this. And that is to remind us of the choppy waters when Nietzsche was cast out of the boat and left stranded on a solitary rock as the tide was coming in. So, continue with the events at Komatsubara. On the evening of 11 November 1264, Nietzsche was on his way to visit Yoshitaka Kodokudo, who was the lord of Amatsu. Nietzsche had been staying in the area after, lived, after having visited his mother, to, I mean, after having visited home to care for his sick mother. Nietzsche left Rengeji Temple in Hanabas, Hanabusa and was attacked by Kagenobu Tojo, a strong Nembutsu believer, who disliked Nietzsche's criticism of that denomination of Buddhism. While the attack was going on, Lord Yoshitaka Kudo, the person who had invited Nietzsche, 
heard of the assault and rode to aid and help defend Nietzschevin. By the end of the evening, when the attack was finally over, Kyonimbo, one of Nietzschevin's followers in his traveling group, and Lord Yoshitaka Kudo were killed. So, one of the people in the party that was with Nietzschevin originally, and also the person who had invited him and rode to his aid, uh, Lord Yoshitaka Kudo, were killed. Nietzschevin himself received a three or four inch cut on his forehead after deflecting a blow from a sword with his prayer beads. He also suffered a broken arm. Also, a couple of others among the defenders suffered serious wounds, though we do not know those details. Later, one of Yoshitaka Kudo's sons, the person who invited Nichiren, son's name Nichiru, became Nichiren Shonen's disciple. In order, and in order to assure prayers for the late Kyoninbo and Yoshitaka Kudo, Nichiru founded Kyoninji Temple in uh, on March uh, uh, 5, 1281. I don't know the exact uh, uh, kanji characters, but Kyoninji might be um, uh, Kyo Sutra, and Nin might be uh, person, or, so it might be Sutra people or something. So I'm not quite sure what the uh, characters are, but just based on the Romanji. So among the treasures at this temple are the prayer beads, which, Nietzsche, which protected Nietzsche from the blow of the sword, and the blooded robe of Kyoninbo. It is said that sometime after the attack, Kagenobu Tojo, the person who led the attack, who had ordered the attack, went insane and died as a result of his insanity, not too long after he led the attack. So the Lotus Sutra says, and I quote, Ignorant people speak, will speak ill of us, abuse us, and threaten us with swords or sticks. But we will endure all of this, end quote. That's from chapter 13. Nietzsche viewed his attack and others that had already occurred, as well as future ones that would occur, as proof that he had lived his life fully based on the Lotus Sutra that he had fulfilled the predictions given by the Buddha regarding those who would practice the Lotus Sutra, specifically in the age of degeneration. During our lives, we may not expect to experience such harsh obstacles as Nietzsche faced, and I hope that none of you do. However, you should expect things to arise in your life that may make it difficult to practice the Lotus Sutra. When I converted to Nichiren Buddhism in uh, 1969, I was in the Marine Corps at the time. A few days after I brought my own mandala back to the barracks and enshrined it into its altar, I was told by my commanding officers that I could not keep such a thing. I was told that if I didn't give it up and quit practicing this uh, religion, that I would have my security clearance taken away. And uh, the, uh, the significance of that was that if that had happened, I would not have been able to continue in the line of work that I was because it required a high security clearance, and so I would have been uh, sent to Vietnam almost immediately. Of course, I was outraged. I felt that no one could do such a thing to me in this country. We have, after all, freedom of religion here. Over the course of about six months, I was able to finally overcome this situation 
and was finally allowed to practice freely. This would not be the last time I faced such a direct challenge to my practice. It is entirely possible that as society uh, becomes more and more polarized, um, that we might face such challenges. I know some of you do face such challenges when relating your faith and your practice to your families. In our practice, though, obstacles such as these are often the easiest to face up to. They're easy to identify, and they confront us directly. It is the insidious obstacles that sneak up on us that are sometimes the most difficult to overcome. By this, I'm referring to such things as our lazy nature or complacency. It is not entirely impossible that you won't face a major challenge in your practice, but it is almost certain that you will face the more subtle challenges such as overcoming laziness or complacency. Things may seem to be going well for you, and you may think, without even realizing it, that it is alright to skip your practice. You may not even notice it happening until you find yourself not even doing any Buddhist practice at all. Still, things may go well for you, and you may think that you no longer need to practice Buddhism at all. It's happened to people. Yet this fails to consider the true purpose for practicing Buddhism in the first place. We do not practice solely because we want to live a life of leisure or of tranquility. We practice so that we can change our lives in a very fundamental level. We practice to change the core of our lives, change our basic nature and tendencies. This is not something done over a short period of time. When you figure how long you have lived to date, you've had that much time and beyond into the infinite past to create the kind of life that originally caused you to seek out Buddhism for some reason. You can imagine how long it will take to really change all of the bad things, all the bad habits, all the unskillful ways you have developed to solving your problems to date. It is not something accomplished with any permanency over a few weeks, a few months, or even a few years. The Lotus Sutra says, and I quote, only perverted people say things are permanent and pleasant. End quote, chapter 14. So, no matter how well things may appear to be going at this moment, they are certain to change. Now, that is not to say that we need to live in constant fear. In fact, the opposite is true. We should live in great joy. The greatest of joys, however, can come from the knowledge that things are certain to change. And through our Buddhist practice, we are most prepared to face those changes and to see them as they fundamentally are. The Lotus Sutra talks about nine easy things to do and six difficult things. In case you think that since you don't face major obstacles, you aren't being heroic, or that your practice is too mundane, you should consider in light of these easy things to do. It's easy to expound all the other sutras. It's easy to grasp Mount Sumeru, picture you know, the Himalayas, and hurl it 
a distance. In other words, to pick up Mount Sumeru and throw it some distance, any distance, even a split fraction of a millimeter. Just imagine doing that. That's easy to do. It's easy to move a world consisting of one million thousand Sumeru worlds. So, a, a million thousand, a thousand million Himalayas. It's easy to move a world consisting of a thousand of those, a thousand million of those, with the tip of your toe. It's easy to stand in the highest heaven and expound other sutras to all living beings. It's easy to grasp the sky and wander around with it. It's easy to put the great earth on the nail of a toe and go up to Brahman heaven. It's easy to shoulder a load of hay and stay unburned in the fire at the end of the Kalpa of Destruction. It's easy to store 84,000 teachings and expound to people and cause the people who hear it to obtain six supernatural powers. And number nine, it's easy to expound the Dharma to many thousands of billions of living beings, causing them to become arhats. Those are the easy things described in chapter 11 in the Lotus Sutra. And if you're like me, you're thinking, those don't sound too easy. You may be even wondering, what could be harder than any of those? What you are doing every day as you chant Odaimoku and recite the Sutra, as you study and try to live your life by the teachings in the Lotus Sutra and also to influence others to do the same, that is actually what the Buddha says is more difficult to do in this latter age of degeneration even more difficult than any of the above. Here are the six difficult things to do. Number one, it's difficult to expound the Lotus Sutra in the evil world after the Buddha's extinction. Number two, it's difficult to copy and keep this sutra or to cause others to copy it after the Buddha's extinction. Number three, it's difficult to read this sutra even for a little while in the evil world after the Buddha's extinction. Number four, it's difficult to keep and expound to even one person after the Buddhist extinction. Five, it's difficult to hear and receive this sutra and ask the meaning of it after the Buddhist extinction. It is difficult to, number six, it is difficult to keep this sutra after the Buddhist extinction. So, we have a, a comparison of Nine difficult things. These are the, I mean, nine easy things. They are like the obstacle that confronts us directly in the face, the, the major obstacle of opposition by parents, or opposition by government, or opposition by friends. These are easy to see. They are very physical. The difficult things when we think about the six difficult things, they're about our personal practice. They're about continuing on a day-to-day -day basis. They are about continuing to make a significant change in one's life. And I'm deviating from the script, so the podcast people get something that the blog-only people do not get. And you people here today also get something. So it's easy to face 
external difficulties when they arise. We can see them. We can identify them. It's the things in our lives that are most difficult to overcome. Today we commemorate the terrible events that occurred to Nietzsche on his way to visit a believer. Every day Nietzsche lived with, with his life courageously, as did many of his contemporary followers. In light of their sacrifice, we may think we have it easy. And in some regards we do. Yet, every day you strive to do your Buddhist practice. Every day you try to practice the six paramitas, or the Eightfold Path, and base your lives on the teachings in the Lotus Sutra, you are in fact doing something that few people are ever are able to do, that few people are able to do for even one or two days. Some people are unable to carry out such a practice even for a moment. Some are able to for a short period of time. Fewer still can do so for many years. I encourage each of you, no matter what, to continue your practice of chanting O Daimoku and reciting the Sutra throughout your lives. In closing, let me share this passage from the Lotus Sutra. Quote, We will wear the armor of endurance because we respect you and believe you. We will endure all these difficulties in order to expound this sutra. We will not spare even our lives. We treasure only the unsurpassed enlightenment. We will protect and keep the Dharma in the future if you transmit it to us. From the Lotus Sutra, chapter 13. Thank you very much. Let us close by uh, chanting Odai Moku together three times. I will do the first one solo. Namu Thank you.